Every day we pass by them. Some of us miss them because we're not really looking, not expecting anything out of the ordinary. And some of us have been waiting so long, praying for so long, that we've begun to lose hope. But then there are these moments when everything comes into focus, when beyond all explanation, the laws of nature and logic cease to matter because a greater power is at work. A loving God who sees us and hears us stands ready to reveal his kindness and strength through miracles. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm glad that you are here. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant and I need a miracle. I don't think I'm the only one. Some of us need God to intervene and save our marriage because it's hanging by a thread. We need a miracle. Some of us need God to intervene and heal a crippling disease. We're looking for a miracle. Some of us need God to intervene financially because our home is in arrears, our business is hanging by a thread, and we're looking for a miracle. Some of us need God to intervene and break an addiction that's held on to us for way too long. We're looking for a miracle. Some of us need God to intervene and save us from the decision to take our own life because we're so wrapped in hopelessness, we don't think we have another option. We need a miracle. Some of us need God to intervene because our child is fighting for their life right now. We need a miracle. Some of us need God to intervene because our spouse is losing their eyesight. We need a miracle. Some of us need God to intervene because we or someone we love still doesn't know Jesus. Some of us need God to intervene and break the pain of infertility. Some of us need God to intervene and transform our loneliness into community. Some of us need God to intervene because our family system seems so unbelievably broken. There's no hope for it. It's beyond repair. Some of us need God to intervene and transform the broken way we look at ourselves. Some of us need God to intervene and simply change a word from terminal to miracle. That's what we're looking for. The word miracle has been maligned, misinterpreted, misused, and misconstrued for centuries. I mean, think about all the ways that it's used today. There's the miracle on ice that happened at the Lake Placid Olympics, which for a hockey fan was actually pretty imp impressive. There's the miracle on 34th Street. There's all the phrases, all I need is a miracle, the making of a miracle, that's nothing short of a miracle. It was a miracle that no one got hurt. They're the claims. It, it's a miracle drug. They're, drug. They're the platitudes. My mechanic is a miracle worker. And then there's Miracle Whip, and I don't even know what to do with that. <laughs> Let's just keep it simple. For the next, I was going to say several weeks. It could be several months. I don't know how long this is going to go for. A miracle is an extraordinary event when the divine intervenes in human affairs. That's according to Merriam-Webster. Let me unpack that. It's a moment when heaven and earth collide. It's a moment when reality and logic don't get along because God does something incredible. It's a moment when heaven tips and a drop falls on top of an individual and, and it's unmistakable because the fingerprints of God are all over that little drop of, of heaven. It's the, the small and the grand. It's, it's the tiny and the unnoticed and things that you just simply can't ignore. It's the everyday and it's the supernatural combined. During the series, we're going to focus in on those moments when God shows up in ways that challenges our logical thinking. We're going to press it in the miraculous work of Jesus, and we are going to, to confront really, really, really hard questions. 
Later on in this service, I'm going to show you a real story from two people who were here at the 930 service. And some of you are going to ask a really heartbreaking question. Why them and not me? It's a valid question. My hope and prayer is this. Over the next weeks as we show you stories, I hope and pray we can be spiritually mature enough that even when we haven't received the miracle we're asking for, that we can celebrate when God does it for somebody else. We're going to ask a question. Is is the miracle I'm asking for ever going to happen for me? We're going to ask the question, how do I stay in a posture of worship as the days and the months and the years go by? We're going to ask the question, how do I choose faith in the face of God saying it's not time yet? We're going to ask the question, did God just stop doing miracles altogether? We're going to ask the question, if I haven't received my miracle, does that mean I'm doing something wrong? Is there some some code or, or formula that I'm supposed to figure out? We're going to confront the question, why doesn't God just say yes? Those are good questions, important questions, and we're going to get to them. But first, I want to take you to the very first recorded miracle of Jesus in the entire Bible. It's from the book of John, chapter 2. Okay, it's not the first miracle of God. It's the first miracle recorded that Jesus specifically does. Jesus has been invited to a party. He's actually been invited to a wedding. He's going to a wedding reception. Weddings in this ancient culture, they didn't last for a day or an afternoon. They lasted for an entire week. If you were invited to a wedding, you gave up an entire week to go and celebrate the husband and wife coming together. You'd celebrate with the family. It was just, it was, it was this incredible moment of celebration. And in this moment, there's an impossible situation that shows up. A really, really big problem. Not going to seem like a big problem to you in our Western culture, but I'll tell you what, it's a big problem. In John chapter 2, the Bible says this. On the third day, stop. That's as far as we're going for right now. On the third day. I mean, think about that for just a second. Can anybody else think of the biblical significance of the third day anywhere else in Scripture? I mean, does anything pop to your mind when all of a sudden you just go, what happened on the third day? Let me tell you if you don't know what it is. Jesus is crucified and three days later something happens. The miracle of resurrection. And we could, we could talk about the victory of Jesus over death and sin. We could preach that miracle until the cows come home. But we're going to have to wait till Easter for that one. Let's keep going. On the third day, a wedding. Stop! We're only six words in. I can't even get going, right? A wedding, the unification of a man and a woman. It's a foreshadowing of the wedding supper of the Lamb when Jesus comes to take his bride, the church, into an eternal miracle of peace and hope. I mean, just on the third day, a wedding. That's a message all by itself. Then this happens. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. That's cool, right? Mom's around. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Doesn't seem like a big deal to us, right? It's like, no more wine? Don't worry about it. There's a BevMo three blocks that way, right? Just go and pick some up. It's not that big of a deal. Let the festivities continue. Somebody just make a run to the store. Here's the problem. There's no store. There's no store. There's no place to go and fix the situation. In this culture, wine was very important. It was seen as a gift of honor. To not have any or to run out was an incredible cultural affront to every single person who'd taken a week off to celebrate with your family. 
It would have brought shame on your family to run out of wine and it would have stayed with you for generations. You would have always been looked at. You were the family that didn't prepare ahead of time because wine would have been prepared months, even years in advance. This was no small party foul. This was an impossible situation. There was no way to fix it. There was no way to save face. It's an impossible situation. And we run into them all the times in our culture. We just use different words. Terminal. Incurable. Broken beyond repair. Hopeless. Relapse. Irreconcilable differences are just the word lost. Here's the beauty of those words. I'll say this a lot over the coming months. The first prerequisite to a miracle is an impossible situation. The first prerequisite to a miracle is an impossible situation. The Bible says that God doesn't do impossible. God loves impossible. God thrives in impossible. The Bible says with God, all things are possible. So there's no such thing as impossible when God is involved, which means this. There's no disease he can't heal, no prognosis he can't turn around, no relationship he can't fix, no relapse he can't overcome, no person he can't save. Somebody say amen to those truths. Okay, so when you find yourself facing an impossible situation, you are in the perfect position for the miraculous intervention of God. I love Mary's response. She's just so matter of fact about it. They got no more wine. She just calls it like it is. Jesus' problem over here. She doesn't freak out. Some of us need to hear that today. Don't freak out. You know what? I've learned something. In the face of fear, people gravitate towards people that are not afraid. Mary's just like, there's a problem. Hey, Jesus. Can you look after this for me? <laughs> she doesn't blame. She doesn't melt. She doesn't shift. She just takes a big deep breath, goes to Jesus and says, hey, there's no wine, no options, just Jesus, we're fine. So matter of fact. Listen to him respond, verse number four. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. Does that sound snippy to anybody else? It's like, Jesus, don't talk to your mom that way. You know what I love about the word woman? We say it differently in our culture. We should probably take a lesson from the ancient Hebrew culture. The word woman is actually translated giveret, which means beloved one. You know what he's really saying? Mama, really? Now? Come on, the calendar's off. Come on, mom. If you were here a couple of weeks ago when I spoke on prayer, I pointed something out to you that rabbis would often speak in contradictions. So what's the opposite of why do you involve me? What would be the opposite? I think the opposite is, mom, why wouldn't you involve me? That's a great question, right? And for those of us that are looking for a miracle, waiting for a miracle, why do we always wait and leave God as a last resort? Why is prayer the last thing that we do? I mean, we try to take care of everything else on our own. We get all the way to the end of it. We got no other option. Then I was like, okay, Jesus, help me out. I think Jesus is making a plea here. If you have the God of the universe, the God of miracles, waiting and wanting to help, why would you wait till the end of the journey to involve him? 
Why not step right out of the, and just, I've got an impossible situation. Involve Jesus right now. For some of you, you've got an impossible situation. You're busy trying to manage it on your own. Stop, involve Jesus today, right now, in this moment. Let me tell you why we don't involve Jesus. I think there's two reasons. The first one is this. We're too independent. We're too independent. How many of us have said the words, I can handle this on my own? hate to break it to you. No, you can't. Not if it's impossible. So we're too independent. Or secondly, we think that our need for a miracle is too insignificant. We tell ourselves a lie. God doesn't have time for a small little problem like this. That's not true. God wants you to come to him. Why? Because he's the only one who can do anything about your situation anyway. Verse five, I love Mary and her confidence. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. She knows something is up. I love that. She jumps right to expectancy. This is mom talk for you ran out of wine. No big deal. Take a step back. My boy's on the job right now. Watch what my kid's going to do. Make a little room. Make a little room. This is going to be really, really big. Do whatever he tells you to do. That's also God talk for be obedient. And I think that's something worth noting. The first step towards any miracle, it's obedience. It's obedience. Just think about it for a second. Before David could defeat Goliath, he actually had to walk out on the battlefield with nothing but a slingshot and five rocks. Noah had to build a boat. Abraham had to take a walk with his son. The disciples had to throw the net on the other side. Jesus had to die before he could rise again. The first step is always obedience. Faith has footsteps. It moves. In as many weeks as we possibly can during this series, I'm going to show you or tell you stories, not from the other side of the world, but from this church right here. The reason I'm doing that is because somehow we have been lulled into a lie that says God does miracles on the other side of the world, but he doesn't do anything here anymore. Several months ago, I was prompted to ask you for miracle stories, and you guys blew up my mailbox. We don't have enough weeks to share all the stories, but we're going to do the best we can in as many creative ways as we can to share stories And today I'd like to introduce you to Ken and Brandy. They were at the 930 service. They sat in those two chairs right there. This is their miracle story. My prayer is that you can celebrate it with them. Let's take a look. My name is Ken and my wife is Brandy and we met online back in uh, 2011. We got to chat and we chatted all night once we found each other and she told me she was going to be down in my neck of the woods on a Thursday. And we had our first date and things just clicked. Uh, We were looking around for churches, we went to several. So our friends, they encouraged us to try out CTK in Bellingham, like, alright, let's do it. Accepted the Lord on uh, on Easter, and just been growing ever since. So we got married in July of 2013. By December of that year, we decided that um, things were going really well, and we wanted to start a family. We attempted to have a baby for about two and a half years prior to actually realizing that we were having difficulties with it. 
our fertility specialist finally told us that we had less than a 5% chance of being able to have a baby. This was devastating to me. I remember sitting in the parking lot at the doctor's office thinking to myself, good Lord, what am I gonna do? My husband is the greatest man on the planet and he deserves to be a dad. Um, and there's just no way, there's no way that I'm gonna be able to do that for him. It was the only thing that I truly prayed for my whole life was to be a mom and to be able to experience waking up in the middle of the night and packing lunches for school and swim lessons and wedding days and all of that stuff. And then at 30 years old, having all of that fall through, just, it, I can't even say it was rock bottom. It was like 10 miles below rock bottom. I, I was just at that point, I was at my breaking point. I'd lost everything. And I, after service one day, I was like, this is where I'm at in my life and in my journey. And I'm angry and I, don't understand this and I can't trust in a God that is willing to hurt me like this. Grant sat there and listened to me for probably 10 minutes and he says, you know, sometimes when you have such a fierce break in faith, the only thing that you can do is throw yourself into faith. To throw yourself directly at God and say, I am here and I am here for you. Maybe the following week or the week after that, Stephen's ministry was brought up um, at CTK. And I decided, all right, well, okay, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna join Stephen's. And I did. I think being a member of that just really solidified to me who I was as a daughter of God and who God was as a presence in my life. You know, he wasn't doing this to me, he was doing this for me. So I pretty much just put the idea of having children and adopting and all of that on the back burner and I thought, all right, well, I'm gonna follow you. I trust you completely and implicitly. So if this is the direction and you have a purpose for my life, then that's okay. We'll, we'll do what you wanna do because you're God. We were gonna attempt to travel um, by a ranch. We were gonna move to Montana at some point. We were going to go places and experience the world. Um, last April, we actually attended the CTK meeting to go to Israel. Our anniversary was the week before. So she says, Ken, come downstairs, I got something for you. And I see this box, I'm like, oh, a late present. Well, this is kind of cool. What'd you do for me? I open it up and uh, pregnancy test was there. Just overjoyed. <laughs> just turned our world upside down. Couldn't be more happy. I don't even think there are words to describe what was going through my mind at that point in time. It was just complete disbelief because it, again, you know, 36 years old, seven years of trying and not being able to make it happen and then all of a sudden. I'm probably one of the most patient people you'll ever meet. And something that's really been drilled into me at CTK and we hear it week after week in the sermons is all in his time. And wow, that's absolutely true. I'm nine months pregnant and I wake up every day and still go, oh my God, I'm, I'm gonna be a mom in four weeks. We constantly tell each other like, hey, you're gonna be a dad. It's just unbelievable to be able to experience something like this and to know that God had a, was first in this, that God had a hand in it was breathtaking. What did God ask Brandy and Ken to do? 
Trust me and serve. Just press in with everything you got. He came alongside of her and said, I know you're hurting and I know you're confused, but if you'll trust me and serve, I promise amazing things can happen. Brandy showed up this morning. She's due any day. I told her if it's a boy, the name Grant is an exceptional choice. <laughs> but I remember several months ago, I noticed that Ken and Brandy had kind of disappeared from the second row, and, and I was worried about them. I didn't know where they had been, because I was, I was standing on this little platform on the morning at Easter when, when Ken gave his heart to Jesus. I stood right over there when we baptized both of them together in the same tank, and I was worried about them. They'd signed up to come to Israel with us, and then all of a sudden they had to cancel, and I couldn't figure out why. And it wasn't that long ago that Brandy grabbed me after a service. I hadn't seen them in quite a while, and she said, Grant, the reason I haven't been here is because I've been really, really sick in the morning. I've been wondering where they were. Little did I know that God was up to a miracle. Some of you are asking questions right now. Why them and not me? That's okay. Some of you are asking questions right now. Well, what did they do different? Like, what, what am I supposed to do? What, what do I do if I'm praying, but I'm not hearing God at all? I just keep asking and asking and asking. Let me answer that question. When you don't know what to do, do what you already know to do or do the last thing that God told you to do. Because I read my Bible. I'm waiting for a miracle too. Knocking on the door, just like you are. And my Bible has been very complete in God's instructions to me. In the meantime, he told me to worship with passion, ask for the desire of my heart, to believe in faith, to be persistent in prayer, to open my hand to whatever he has to give us, even if it's a lesson about ourselves. He, he's instructed me to be generous and love each other deeply and serve sacrificially. Do that and let God do his work. Ken and Brandy were obedient, so were the people at the wedding. Look at verse six. It says, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding about 20 to 30 gallons. It's a lot of water. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. They were obedient even when it doesn't make sense. Jesus, why are you asking us to fill jars with water? Nobody wants water. They want wine. Like seriously, why are we wasting our time doing this? Verse number eight. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. I love these three next words. They did so. Like this is crazy. Why are we filling stuff with Water. Nobody wants water. And now we're dipping up a cup of water and walking it over to the head chef, the master of ceremonies, the banquet, whatever you want to call him, the wedding coordinator. We're walking it over to him. He's going to laugh at us. It's just like I needed wine. You brought me a cup of water. Verse number nine, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. Somewhere between filling the jars to the brim with water and delivering it to the master of ceremonies, God was up to something. Somewhere in the process, somewhere between the well and the wedding hall, a transformation happened. I think this is a great reminder. An instantaneous miracle, and sometimes they happen that way, it's just boom, is often hidden within a longer process. 
I mean, think about it. The man at the pool that was healed by Jesus waited 38 years for that to happen. That's what the Bible tells us. Joseph and Mary waited nine months for the miracle of God to show up in their lives. Jesus waited 33 years before the miracle of resurrection. I mean, how many of us waited into our 20s or 30s before we experienced the miracle of salvation? All along the way, God asked us to step out in the process. Some of you are praying for a financial breakthrough and it drives you nuts, but here's what God's saying. I need you to be generous right now. I still need you to give. Some of you are like, God, I need you to fix my family. You've been offended. And God says, then the step I need you to take is actually to forgive. Somebody at work blows an assignment. You're so frustrated and God shows up and says, here's your step, be patient. In fact, be as patient with them as I am with you. You can't see him, but he still asks you to pray. It reminds me of a song. In the crushing, in the pressing, he's making new wine. So sometimes miracles are instantaneous, but they're often embedded in a longer process. The Bible continues, uh, master of ceremonies. says, he, he did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you've saved the best till now, okay? This is kind of funny and kind of sad and I had no idea how to explain this to a church that embraces the value of recovery, right? (laughs) Little awkward with this one, right? Because some of you would read that and go, so the point is you're supposed to bring out the cheap stuff later? Like, is that the party rule that we're supposed to follow? I don't think that's the point. I think the point is this. Jesus doesn't just fix the problem, he annihilates the problem. He doesn't show up with a bottle of apple juice and say, well, let's just see how far this goes. If you do the calculation, he shows up with 600 bottles of the best, of the best, of the best vintage, of the best taste. I mean, he breaks out the party to an entirely new level. And this is the truth we need to learn. The God of miracles is the God of exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or even imagine. That's good Bible right there. When God does a miracle, they're unexpected and they're unprecedented. Every single one of the miracles, there's more than 200 of them in scripture. They're all designed to give God glory. Just so we're clear, we're not just chasing a miraculous experience in this series. We're chasing the God of miracles and we're going to allow him to do whatever experience he wants to dish out. I hope you're expectant. I hope you're thinking right now, what if God actually shows up? What if God does something that I can't explain? What if he does? Do you have the courage to pray, God, I don't care what you do. I don't care if it makes me uncomfortable or not. I don't care if it seems a little crazy to everybody else. God, just have your way. God, just have your way. The story finishes with these words, verse 11. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So apparently up until this point, some of the disciples were still living with question marks. Glory and belief. The miraculous is always done for the glory of God and so that more will believe. We're praying that happens here for the glory of God 
and so that others believe. Let's wrap this up. The last blank in your outline says this, the first miracle of Jesus is a conversion miracle. I love that. Jesus goes to a wedding and he converts water into wine. It's miraculous. And all the way through this series, not only are we going to be praying that God does conversion miracles, converting terminal to miracle, we're also gonna be asking God to convert human souls from sinners to saints. We want to see people come into a relationship with Jesus because I believe the miracle of a human being coming into a relationship with a perfect God and changing the destination of their eternity, that is the greatest miracle of all. It has eternal implications. So my hope and prayer is that you'll open your heart. God's already doing it. He's already doing it. I'm looking around the room today. Some of you are here, and it's a miracle you're here. And I see you. Because I've prayed with some of you when you had lost hope, and you're here, that means something. God is still working. We had a guy come to the Saturday night service last night. I didn't even do a prayer for salvation. He gave his heart to Jesus. Five seats down that back section. Sent his girlfriend to the front to get a member from the prayer team to bring somebody back to lead him to Jesus. I met a couple last night. They had never been in church before, ever. They decided to come to see whether or not God wanted to have a conversation with them. Do you know what they're praying for? You know what their issue is? Infertility. And that was the story that God picked for this weekend. Do you think he got their attention? We stood right over here and prayed that God would give them the miracle they're asking for. There is so much for us to learn and experience. We're just gonna keep the miracle working God of the Bible center stage and we're gonna get out of his way. Not only are we going to look for miracles and share miracles, so I've got, I've got two stories for you next weekend that still blow my mind. Somewhere along this journey, I'm not gonna tell you when, <clears throat> But my wife is actually gonna come up on this platform and share her story. She's gonna preach the word of God because we've been waiting for a really long time for our miracle. And we're gonna share our story. And you guys have shared in that story. Some of you have been praying with us for more than 20 years. We will not stop. We're gonna keep asking. So we're gonna ask God for miracles here and at the same time, we're gonna actually serve some people on the other side of the world and try and be a miracle for somebody else. I wanna introduce you to two of our global partners. His name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Her name is Happiness. What a great name, right? Emmanuel and Happiness. They are missionaries in Tanzania. Emmanuel is one of the greatest evangelists I've ever met in my life. His method of evangelism is to drive out into the middle of nowhere in the Tanzanian countryside and sit until God tells him whether to go right or left. And whatever direction God takes him in, he ends up in a remote village. He walks into the center of the village. He will introduce them and say, my name is Emmanuel. I've come to teach you about the man of peace. His name is Jesus Christ. He shares the gospel and people get saved. It's the craziest thing. 
We asked Emmanuel and his family if they would say hi, because you guys not only are gonna support them in the project, you also support them every single month. I'd like to introduce you to the Nassery family. They sent you a little video to say hi. Let's take a look. Hi. Hello, CDK family. We love you. We are praying for you. My name is Daddy Manuel. My name is Masi Manuel. My name is Patrick Manuel. My name is Lori Manuel. And I am happiness. We love you. I'm Emmanuel. Nasari, we are here as a family just to tell you our dear friends that we love you so much and we really appreciate your prayer and for your support. Thank you so much. God bless you. Amen. Thank you for your prayers and your support. Amen. God bless you. Bye. Amen. Can you imagine how many takes that must have taken with five kids? That's pretty incredible, isn't it? Emmanuel takes very seriously the Great Commission to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's where he goes. There are no roads. There is no infrastructure where he goes. Emmanuel needs a truck, a four-wheel drive vehicle so he can drive out in the middle. He had another one, but he broke the axles because the road is so bad. He needs a truck so he can take his family and his crusade team out into the middle of nowhere and share the gospel of Jesus. If we don't get him a truck, it's okay. Emmanuel will walk. He's that dedicated. He will walk for days and weeks to take the gospel where Jesus tells him to go. He needs a miracle. And we're the answer. We're gonna buy that evangelist a truck a good four-wheel drive vehicle with a winch on the front that can drag him out of the gullies that it slides into. We're gonna provide an opportunity because we so believe that the, the mission of him taking Jesus to people who've never heard before is so unbelievably important that we're willing to sacrifice even while we're waiting for our own miracle. So there's a little blue envelope. It's gonna be in your program for as long as we can hand out programs. <laughs> We may have to stop at some point. That's okay. We'll go online if we have to. But that blue envelope is an opportunity for you to be a part. In your program today, there are four projects. If we reach the goal, financial goal of project number one, we'll move on to number two. If we reach number two, we'll move on to number three. If we reach number three, we'll move on to number four. Number four is actually a secret project that's happening in the Middle East because of the area where it's happening. We cannot share the details with you. You're just gonna have to trust me that every dime you give is gonna to go to another part of the world that needs it a little bit more than we do. So I'm gonna ask you to pray about that blue envelope for above and beyond giving and just say, God, do you want me to do something? I'm waiting for a miracle. Could this be a step of obedience? I'm not saying it's the only one. Could this be a step of obedience you're asking me to take to sacrifice and serve while I'm waiting for the miracle? So there you go. cool thing about those little blue envelopes is that God's got this thing about multiplication. We bring him our little piece and he just multiplies it. We should probably talk about that later on in this series. That sounds like a miracle worth talking about. 
Thanks again for watching. We're so glad that you joined us today. Once again, we hope you'll get involved in biblical face-to-face -face community wherever you happen to be today. If you'd like more information about Christ the King Community Church, if you'd like to give online, or if you'd like to submit a prayer request, or even get connected in a small group, you can find out more about us at ctk.church.